So I'm turning this evening to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore... And I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Well, friends, we are looking this evening at this uh, chapter, uh, continuing our studies in uh, this book of Exodus, and my subject is commissioned uh, by the Lord. Somebody said, uh, Moses was 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh, learning to be something. 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness, learning to be nothing. And then 40 years as Israel's saviour, learning what God can do with nothing. And that's a lovely summary of the uh, 120 years of uh, his, his life. Well, last week we looked at the transition that Moses made from Pharaoh's palace uh, to the wilderness, a deliberate choice that he had made, uh, not something that he was forced into doing. And uh, he spent, he makes his way to the wilderness And probably he never expected to be there as long as he was. Forty years he ended up spending in the backside of the desert. God's ways are not our ways. And uh, God's thoughts are so very different from our thoughts. And here we see that this was actually all a part of God's plan for Moses. All a part of his training program. Before 
Moses is brought again into the limelight in a very obvious and special way and, and going to be used mightily by God to do those signs and wonders. Before he comes to the public attention of everyone in Egypt, he has to learn the hidden life. He has to learn the humble life. He cannot be that God would entrust him with such leadership and such mighty things and uh, the glory goes to Moses. No, he must learn that it's all uh, of God. Perhaps he had thought of when he was a prince, mighty in word and deeds. Perhaps he thought that was enough for him, that he had had that education in the uh, palace of Pharaoh. And now he was able and a capable man. And he, we saw how he put himself forward uh, for that role to be Israel's deliverer. Uh, God determined that he was not yet ready for it. And not only natural qualities, but much more spiritual qualities were needed to be in this uh, brother, in Moses. He was already a believer, but he needed to learn further uh, spiritual things. Uh, uh, qualities which need, worked, would only come about through his time in the desert. Spiritual qualities, of course, for the ministry are much more important than even natural abilities that a person has. Some young men, when they go into the, have a desire to go into the ministry, and that's all very good, but sometimes they may get the wrong idea, and they may think, well, if I spend three, four years, five years maybe in seminary, and I do my master's degree in theology, and, as, and so on, and do my studies in Hebrew and Greek and uh, biblical theology, all of which is very good in itself. But sometimes they may get the wrong idea and think, well, when I come out of seminary, I'm ready. I'm ready for the ministry because I've passed my exams and so on. And I've gone through all that education and I'll be mighty in word and deeds. Well, friends, if they've never had training, if they've never had hard service, if they've never been involved with a church uh, in, uh, in, in working with maybe with the Sunday school and the slog of working uh, uh, and witnessing and so on and learned uh, humility uh, in a backside kind of way, uh, hidden away from the public eye. Well, they may struggle. They will struggle once they enter into the ministry. And they will find it very uh, difficult. But let's uh, look at this verse 1 again. Um, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The mountain of God, that's Sinai, and Horeb was uh, the mountain ranges of which Sinai was a part. And there he saw this startling sight that uh, stopped him in his tracks. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. A bush on fire, and yet not being consumed. Burning, but not being uh, consumed. How can it be? He must have thought uh, to himself. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now, some people have tried to explain this burning bush away in a very rational and scientific way and uh, some have said it's well it's just a very natural occurrence and they try come up with all these uh, explanations uh, to try and uh, explain why the bush didn't burn 
but it's a very simple uh, going, uh, taking the scriptures as they are. It's the supernatural thing. That's all it is, friends. Something that is out of the ordinary. And uh, that's why Moses turned aside. That's why he caught uh, his attention. If it was something ordinary, well, he would have just carried on. He wouldn't have caught his attention at all. But look at this. The angel of the Lord was in the midst of the bush. Who is this? The angel of the Lord. Is it a created angel? Is it some angel that has a special task to, to go to Moses? But we learn from other scriptures that uh, where this phrase is used, the angel of the Lord, that it is actually Jehovah. And more specifically, that this is uh, uh, the Son of God, the pre-incarnate uh, Son of God. Here it is, the pre-incarnate Son of God appearing in some visible form uh, in the midst of the bush. And when the Lord saw, that verse 4, that Moses turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And the Lord said to him, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moses is allowed to draw near, but God says, Not too near. And that's important. He is a privilege of a hearing from the Lord, but he must learn also that there is a distance between him and God, that he is still a creature and that God is his creator and that he should reverence the Lord. And so he is asked and told rather to take off the shoes, take off his sandals as a mark of respect for this God, this great God of holiness. Well, friends, we could say very much, this is a lesson that's very much needed today, isn't it? How we wish that such a passage like this could be expounded and thundered out in all the churches in the UK. Because it's a great need for people, believers, to hear again that God is holy. And God is to be reverently worshipped. And God should be approached with that reverence. Yes, He is our Father. Yes, we can speak to Him in a familiar way, but he is also a great king and he is also holy. And we should remember uh, these things in our approaches to him. Sadly, today in a lot of worship services up and down this country, reverence for this holy God has disappeared. And what's come in in its place? Well, informality and uh, casualness in worship and over-familiarity with the, with, with the Lord. And concert-like worship, where you have people uh, jumping up and down, up and down, like a concert uh, to the rhythm of the music, and uh, they say that's worship. Well, the Lord's, Moses wasn't jumping up and down here. Moses was told, keep your distance and take the shoes off your feet. Respect, reverence for God. Well, there's another way in which we could, we could apply this, when the Lord... Uh, told him to take off his shoes. It, it doesn't mean that when we pray, we need to take off our shoes or when we worship. But perhaps, friends, uh, in prayer at home, uh, instead of not necessarily taking off your shoes, but perhaps if you're young enough and you're able, uh, you may uh, go on your knees before the Lord in prayer. Uh, if you can concentrate, some of us can't, cannot concentrate when we're on our knees. If you can, it's a good thing to do. Not that you're going to gain any 
merit with God for doing that. Let's put that out of your mind. But that it just may help a person to see, well, I am small. God is great. And I humble myself before this great God. Well, verse 6, the Lord continues to say, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the covenant-keeping God. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And then in verses 7 to 12, we have Moses' commission. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, uh, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. The Lord was aware of all that his people were going through, of all their troubles. I know their sorrows, he says. He saw it's, uh, their affliction and he heard their cry. He could see, he saw and he heard uh, everything. So it is with us. Are we going through a long trial? Are we going through a difficult period uh, in our lives? And uh, some, uh, something is disturbing us and has been for a long time. Well, friends, the Lord knows the, your, your troubles. He sees your afflictions and he hears your prayers and your cries that go up to him. So you can take comfort uh, from that. I know their sorrows, he says. Well, verse 8, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Well, uh, you can see uh, for yourself, friends, but all along in this encounter, what is happening? But God is unfolding. God is revealing himself to Moses. It's not that Moses is discovering who God is. This is the self-revelation of God. Uh, God is self-disclosing uh, himself uh, to Moses. We see a number of things about God, what he is like. Verse 5, we've mentioned it already. He is holy. He is the, the transcendent God. Verse 6, he is a God who is present uh, in the world, imminent. He is the God who is working uh, through history and the events that are taking place in history as in the lives here of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And verse 7, he is a caring God, a compassionate God. We could say a sensitive God, sensitive to the needs of his people. Oh, who is like him? Verse 8, I, uh, a prayer-hearing God, a God who keeps uh, his uh, promises. Well, this is a wonderful uh, uh, knowledge that has been passed down uh, to uh, Moses. And uh, it's the same for us as well. How do we know what God is like? If I spend my whole life uh, trying to discover him, will I find him? Well, no. He must reveal himself. This is a subject about which I cannot, by my own investigation and experiment and uh, labors, uh, find out by trial and error maybe, like we do with science and biology. That's what we, we learn in that kind of a way. But you can't do that with God. Because God must show himself. God must reveal uh, himself. And that's what he is uh, doing here. And it's a lesson for all of us as Christian workers. 
before we can tell other people about God, well, we must know Him ourselves. We must be familiar with Him. How can I speak to others about Christ and about the Lord and what He is like and what He requires if I don't know for myself? Well, verse 9 uh, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, notice, friends, how God is going to accomplish his purpose. His purpose, his design, is to bring uh, his people out of Egypt. How is he going to do it? He could bypass men altogether if he chose. He didn't have to use Moses, but he chooses to do so. That's human instrumentality. That's what God, God has chosen to do down through time. From not only Moses, but you read throughout the scriptures, when God intends to work out his purposes, he works through uh, men and women, even for us uh, now today. How is God going to call those elect people in uh, to himself? Through the preaching of the gospel, through us preaching the gospel, through us being witnesses, through us going out into the streets or in our workplaces and so on, making known uh, the, the gospel. And in this way, through you and me, uh, the Lord uh, brings about uh, his uh, purposes. So we are the means, just like Moses here, uh, to bring about, uh, to, to bring God's elect uh, to himself. Well, Moses is overwhelmed uh, with the commission. Verse 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? <laughs> Different, isn't it? His language now is very different from 40 years ago. 40 years ago, well, he was ready, he was up for it. But now it's a different story. Perhaps age is a factor for him. Now, before he was 40, now he's 80. Perhaps he's thinking, I can't do it at this age. But also the calling itself. Well, it was an extremely difficult call and not really one that we should uh, underestimate. The size of the task that was given to him was very great. It was also a very dangerous calling to him personally to go and stand before Pharaoh and say all those things to him, let my people go. Well, uh, it was quite a a task. The Egyptians themselves, well, they were not weak uh, people. They were powerful. They were dominant. They were skilled in fighting. Uh, They were well-armed people. And then you look at the Hebrews who Moses was going to represent. And they are slaves, and they are weak, and they're helpless, and have no arms, they're unarmed. And so he says, who am I uh, to, uh, to do this task, that I should go unto Pharaoh? What will the Lord say? This is the first excuse, in, in a sense, that Moses puts up. What will the Lord say? Well, look at verse 12. Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. I will be with thee. That's his encouragement. You're not on your own, Moses. I am with you. The Lord God is with you. And also, uh, look, I'm going to give you success 
uh, in the end. This will not be a task that will fail, it will come to nothing, it will be successful. That's our encouragement that we go about doing the Lord's work. Uh, the Lord is with us. Christ has said, I'm with you, lo, I'm with you always until the end of the world. And when did he say that? When he sent out his disciples uh, to a witness. Verse 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am. Uh, that's the name of God. I am. It means, friends, the self-existent one. The, the one who is not dependent on anyone who is so very much unlike us. We depend on other people. We depend, of course, on God. But we depend on others. We depend on the oxygen in the air to survive. Well, here, here is the self-existent God who is dependent on none. It also includes the idea of the eternity of God. I am the God who is without beginning. The one who is without end, the eternal God. And also the unchanging God, the immutable God, the one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. I am. And that's why this word is also linked uh, in the Hebrew with the word that we're familiar with, Jehovah. Now, verse uh, 15. God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob had sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all uh, generations. And then in verse 16 to the end, uh, we have that message of deliverance, uh, the message that Moses is to deliver firstly to the, uh, the elders of Israel and then uh, to Pharaoh himself. Moses in these verses is shown the method that God is going to use to bring the people out of Egypt. And he's given an insight into the practical aspects of the plan. So they are revealed here in advance uh, to him. In uh, the message to the Hebrews, he's to say uh, to them, verse 16, uh, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying... I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and so on, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And here, listen, they shall hearken to thy voice. And thou shalt come to the elders, thou, thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, and then this is the message for Pharaoh. You shall say unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Will it be plain sailing? Will he listen straight away? Will he give yield straight away? Not at all. Verse 19, I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not by a mighty hand. 
And then God will says, I will work in spite of that uh, re- uh, refusal. I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, uh, he will let you go. And then uh, the way in which they would go out, they wouldn't go out uh, empty handed, but uh, the Lord would give them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And verse 22, every woman shall borrow of a neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and you shall spoil the Egyptians. That was words of, spoken to Abraham way back in Genesis 15 and verse 13 and 14. I read them to you. The Lord said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And that nation, also that nation whom they shall serve, will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And that was exactly the words here, and that is what exactly what happened when they left. Well, friends, as we uh, close, just a couple more applications uh, here. Just as Moses was uh, commissioned uh, by God, so also Um, As we said before, Moses is a type of Christ. And in a similar way, God the Father commissioned uh, the Son of God to come into this world. He gave him a task to do, a great task, a difficult task, a hard task. But he came uh, to do that task, a task to make an atonement for sinners, to make an atonement for those uh, who uh, are chosen by him, to bring them out of bondage to sin, out of bondage to Satan, and to bring them uh, to himself, to reconcile them with God, and to bring them to heaven at last. This is a picture of Christ, our great uh, deliverer. Moses is one kind of deliverer, but how much greater is the Lord Jesus Christ, and how much greater what he has done uh, for us who believe in him. But Moses also, look here, was given a message to deliver to Pharaoh and Egypt. That was his assignment, to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, we too can say, can we not? Every believer has been given a message to deliver to this fallen world. That's your assignment as a Christian. That's my assignment, to tell the world the gospel message, to tell them about Christ who can deliver them from that bondage to sin and Satan. Will it be easy? Is it going to be all plain sailing? No. We're also going to face obstacles. We're also going to face unbelief. We are going to face uh, resistance uh, as we go along this work. But we must continue boldly, friends, uh, to declare the saving message from heaven. It's the only hope for sinners. There is no other hope for them. The only way that people can be delivered from the bondage, from spiritual bondage, is through the gospel, through believing in Christ, through faith in Christ and repentance of their sins. So we must continue uh, to make mention of these things. And the Lord being with us will surely bless us and give us gospel success. Amen. Amen. Amen.